Where's the rest of the troops? Here they come. There's, hey, Addie. <laughs> there they go. I think it was a little bit, a little bit slow there. Mercy me. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Amen. So thankful for those that are willing to serve in the children's church ministry. Uh, it's a great, great blessing uh, to know that there are adults that when the children leave here, they don't just go get babysat. Amen. They go and they actually learn a Bible lesson. And uh, just like you're getting ready to, I pray. Amen. Well, let me ask you this question. How great is your God? How great is your God? Or maybe the question should be, how great is your perception of God? Is the God you serve great enough to perform miracles in your life? You know, for some people... Their spouse is their God. But one of these days, that spouse is going to let you down. And what kind of God have you got that lets you down? For some people, money is their God. But I'm going to tell you this morning that one of, those, one of these days, that money is going to run out. Never run out. For some people, their job is their God. But I'm going to tell you, one of these days, you're going to be too old to do your job. Amen. Then where are you going to be? Does your faith limit what your God can do? Does your faith limit what God is able to do for you? Today, in the next chapter of Joshua, we're going to find some principles, some very important principles that remind us just how great your God is. And I want to begin by asking you to remember that we are going to face opposition. Here's a promise for you. In your Christian life, you will face adversity. In your Christian life, you will face hostility. In your Christian life, you will face conflict. There's no doubt about it, but listen carefully. That has no bearing on how great God is. Amen? Just because you have conflict in your life does not mean that God's not great, because He is. Now, last week we discovered that the Gibeonite people were fearing for their lives, and they kind of tricked their way... Uh, into becoming part of the, the nation of Israel, the, part of the people of God. But today we find that when the other tribes that were living in the land that Israel was invading, when they heard about what Gibeon did, they looked on the Gibeonites as traitors. And what they started doing is they started wanting to attack those Gibeonite people. By the same token, I want to tell you this morning that if you choose to side with God, and I pray you do. But if you choose to side with God, you better count the cost. Because if you choose to side with God, I'm telling you, you will be attacked. You will be attacked. Christ followers are a threat 
to anybody who opposes the kingdom of God. And if you are a Christ follower, then people will come against you, because not because they are against you, but because they oppose the kingdom of God. Just like Israel, just like God's nation of Israel, every one of us, when we follow Jesus, is promised that we're going to face trouble. We're promised that we're going to face tribulation. We're promised that we're going to face strong opposition. So why don't you follow along with me on page 202 in the Bibles in front of you. In Joshua chapter 10, let's look at uh, how this story begins to unfold. In verse 1, chapter 10 of Joshua, and the Word of God says, Now it came to pass when Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and now and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, they feared greatly. They feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all of its men were mighty. Therefore Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hotham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lashish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gideon, Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, get this, five kings, five nations of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lashish, and the king of Eglon gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against them. Friends, I want to ask you this question. Have you faced opposition in your Christian life? Here, the people of God were facing opposition just like you will in your life. But there's a second principle I want to remind you of, and that is this. Remember, the only good promise is one that's kept. Would you agree with that? There ain't but one good promise, and that's the promise that's kept. Look there in verse 6. And the many of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the king of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So what would you have done? What would you have done if you were Joshua or the people of God? Remember, the Gibeonites had scammed Joshua. They conned all the leaders of Israel. And if Joshua wasn't a man of God, which he was, he could have used this episode in a way to get out of the consequences of making this impulsive treaty with Gibeon. But that's not the way Joshua looked at it. That's not the kind of man Joshua was. In fact, he knew that he had made a promise in the name of God with these Gibeonites, and he fully intended to keep his promise. Look in verse 7. And so Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. Friends, how different would our nation be if men and women understood the value of making a promise and then standing behind it? 
Amen? How different would our political system be if men and women understood was to make a promise and keep it. Amen? How different would our churches be if men and women of the church would make a promise and then stand behind their promise? Not quite as few amens about that one. Amen? Because that one gets to the heart. Remember, only a good promise, the only good promise, is one that's kept. Think about marriage for a second. Husbands and wives make a promise to each other. And here in our country, in Christian circles and in non-Christian circles, 50% of them break their promise. 50%, over 50% of marriages break their promise. Maybe there's because of sin. Maybe there's because of some kind of infidelity. Maybe it's because of some kind of, quote-unquote, irreconcilable differences. But the bottom line is, they weren't man enough or woman enough to keep their promise. Think about ministry. People make a, a promise to, to be a part of a ministry. A ministry that God wants to use for the, for the glory of His kingdom. And then you have people who will sign up for that ministry, but then they won't keep their promise. Friends, I want to encourage you that if you're going to make one, make sure you keep one. Amen. God keeps his promises, and he expects his people to keep his promises too. So remember, the only good promise is one that's kept. Here's a third principle for you this morning, and that is remember, God is with us. God is with his children. Look in verse 8. In verse 8, And all the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Right here in verse 8, what God was doing was reassuring Joshua of a promise that he made way back in chapter 1. Way back before Israel ever invaded the, the new territory. Before Israel even crossed over the Jordan, here we have God making this promise. In chapter 1, verse 5, the Lord is speaking to Joshua, and here's what he says. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. What a great promise that is when we're facing the opposition of life. Amen? What a great promise that is when we're facing the challenges and the, the, the wickedness of life that God is with us. But you see, that's often how God works. God doesn't necessarily unveil some new truth when you're going through a conflict. God doesn't somehow unveil some new truth about himself when you're going through the tragedies of life. What he often does is he reaffirms a promise that he already made. That's exactly what he was doing with Joshua. See, it seems like that when you're when you're going through, when you're in the midst of the fire, it seems like a new truth, but really God is just standing by his word. He's standing by his promise. He's told you that he'll never leave you. He's told you that he'll never abandon you. He told you that he'll never forsake you. He told you he'd never turn his back on you. And listen carefully, he won't. He will not. Because you are a child of God. 
You are an adopted child of God. You are the love of his life. You are his property, and he's not going to abandon his property. He's not going to abandon his own children. So even in the, the light of an extreme need, you need to know that your God is with you. So back to our story here, armed with an order from headquarters, as it were, and this promise of a renewed promise of the Lord, Joshua leads his men into battle. And get this, over the course of one night, overnight, Joshua leads his army 25 miles from Gilgal to Gibeon. 25 miles, one night. They covered the same distance in eight or ten hours that it previously took them three days. So that tells me that they're probably almost jogging. Armor and all. Spear, sword, the whole gear for 25 miles. They basically jogged a marathon to get from Gilgal to Gibeon so they could keep their promise. That's how important it was to Joshua. And when Joshua and his army arrived the next morning, they took the enemy completely by surprise. And according to verse 9, follow with me, Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. And so the Lord routed them. Did y'all hear that? And so the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Haran and struck them down as far as Ezekiah and Makedah. And as it happened, as they fled before Israel, as they were on the descent of Beth Haran, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiah. And they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with a sword. It's pretty amazing to me. But first of all, do you notice who was doing the fighting? Look in verse 10. The Lord routed them. The Lord killed them. The Lord chased them down. And the Lord struck them down. It was the Lord doing the fighting. How exciting would it be for you to know that God is fighting for you? Amen? You're in the midst of the battle. You're in the midst of the conflict of life. You're in the midst of the most difficult time of your days, and you need to know that God is fighting for you. Amen? He's on your side. I mean, at some point, we've all been beat up by the enemy. Amen? Anybody else, or is it just me? We've all been beat up by the enemy. We've all been discouraged by our circumstances. I've been there. We've all been drained by all these responsibilities that we have. Man, we're just wore out. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if God came up to our rescue, took up our cause, and fought for us? Wouldn't that be nice? Well, I want to tell you, your God fights for you. Friend, if your God wasn't fighting for you, you'd have been dead a long time ago. Amen? The reason you're still here is because your God has been fighting for you. He wants you to be alive and he wants you to serve him with all your heart. I mean, if he weren't constantly taking our side, the conflicts of life would overwhelm us. 
The discouragements of life would overcome us, and they would have done so a long time ago. Sin would have defeated us, and there wouldn't be one little trace of character left in you if God wasn't fighting for you. God still fights for his people. God is fighting for his people. And I believe that part of the wonder of heaven when we get there is we're going to find out and we're going to learn just how much God's been protecting us. We're going to learn just how much God was fighting for us. We're going to learn just how much God was with us even in the challenges of life. Listen, friends. God fights for us. He is fighting for us. Now, in this battle, there were two miracles that occurred. One was this miracle of these incredible hailstones. Amen? The second miracle was the day the sun stood still. The day the sun stood still. In the first miracle... Joshua and his army had marched that 25 miles and they were doing so double time. Amen? They were undoubtedly exhausted when they arrived at Gibeon. So what did God do about it? The Lord stepped in to help out and examine this. He gives only the enemy. He only gives only the enemy a hailstorm they'll never forget. Because we don't read about any of the Israelite soldiers dying, do we? Only the enemy soldiers died from the hailstones. So only the enemy was getting the hail beat out of them. Amen? I knew y'all would like that. <laughs> Verse 11 declares that more enemy troops died from the hailstones than did from the sword of the soldiers of Israel. I don't know about you, friend, but that's a pretty impressive demonstration of God's presence with his people in the midst of a battle. Remember this, friends. God is always with his people. He is always with his people. Even when it seems like you're being defeated, even it seems, when it seems like you're being knocked down, God's still with you. He's still there. Now, a fourth principle that we need to remember is if he's still there, is he going to do something about it? Amen? Well, the fourth principle you need to remember is this. Remember, nothing is too great for God. Nothing. Say nothing. Nothing is too great for God. So picture this. Joshua reaches the summit of Beth Haran. And as far as his eye could see, he sees masses of enemy soldiers being chased by the Israelite soldiers. And these large hailstones are raining down from heaven, killing the enemy before the Israelite soldiers can kill them. There is nothing that's too great for God. Now, as Joshua stood at the, at the summit there of Beth Haran, there was two things he must have realized. Number one, he must have realized, hey man, we're going to win this thing. Amen? We're going to win this battle. Thank you, Lord. We're going to win this battle. But there is something else that's pointed out, and that is this. 
There's not enough daylight left to achieve a complete victory over the enemy. And so Joshua began to pray. And he prayed this crazy, unusual prayer. And in verse 12, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of all the people of God, Son, stand still over Gibeon. And moon in the valley of Ajalon. And so the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. The Lord fought for his people. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. So Joshua had the nerve. Joshua had the audacity to command the sun and moon to stand still. Is he a nut? Sun stand still. Moon stop moving. Well, we know it wasn't Joshua. Ain't no man can do that. So how did God make the sun stand still? Well, I am prepared this morning to give you your Baptist seminary answer. Are you ready? I don't know. All I know is this, on the authority of the Word of God, one day in history, God intervened on behalf of His people and the sun remained in the middle of the sky long enough for God's people to achieve complete victory over His enemies. So maybe the better answer faith. In Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 27 God says, Behold I am the Lord. I am the God of all flesh. And listen carefully friends. Is there anything that's too hard for me? The question presupposes the answer. There's nothing too great for God. In Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah also wrote, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions for His people fail not. His love for you fails not. They are new every morning. Great, O Lord, is your faithfulness. About 12 years after he graduated from Princeton University, Donald Barnhouse was invited to come back and preach for the chapel service there at Princeton. 
When he arrived, he noticed that one of his old professors, Ronald Wilson, was there to listen to him preach. And when the service was over, the old professor came up to him and said, If you come back again, I will not come to hear you preach. Really? I only come once, but I am glad that you are a big godder. When my boys come back, I come to see if they're big godders or little godders. Then I know what their ministry is going to be like. And so Barnhouse asked his professor, what in the world are you talking about? Little godders and big godders. He said, well, there are some people who have a little god. That little God can't do miracles. That little God has no power. And that little God, uh, his word in the Bible, has no effect on people. They have a little God, and therefore I call them little Godders. But then there are those who have a great God. When he speaks, it's done. When he commands, he stands still. And he shows himself strong even when his children are going through adversity. Son, you have a great God. Therefore, you're going to have a great ministry. So what kind of God do you have? I want to tell you this morning that nothing is too great for those who are big godders. Are you a big godder, or is your God so little he can't do anything? He can't even help you. Your final principle this morning is to remember that prayer has great power. Prayer has great power. Verse 14 tells us how significant this issue, this event truly was. Verse 14 says... And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man. The Lord fought for Israel. Now when I read that, some lights went off. And I read and I said, okay, that day was not unique because the sun stood still. That day wasn't unique because the moon stood still over the valley of Alijan. The day was unique because God listened and heeded the voice of a man. Are you amazed that the God of the universe would listen to you, one of some seven billion people alive on this planet? Does it amaze you that God would heed the voice of a man or a woman who occupied this planet? I want to tell you this morning that God still hears you. That God still responds to the voice of men and women. 
God still responds to the children of God. Now his answer may say yes. But his response may be no. His response may be, not now, my child. But it's a response nonetheless. It's been said that God hearkens to the voice of a man who himself has hearkened to the voice of God. In other words, God hears you when you hear him. God responds to you when you respond to him. So if you're wondering why your prayers are hitting the ceiling and coming back down and you're not getting any answer for your prayers, maybe you're not responding to God. Maybe you're not hearing the voice of God. Because he responds to those who respond to him. Shortly before VE Day, Anybody else know? What's VE Day? Anybody know? I didn't know until I looked it up. VE Day? Anybody heard that in World War II? Victory in Europe. I didn't know that. Victory in Europe Day in World War II. There was a soldier named Joel. And Joel wrote a letter to his mother in New Jersey about how God had saved the whole platoon. Joel said, we were part of the third army under General Patton. And my platoon was working Uh, in an observation post and doing a few patrols. One of my best buddies, Tom, was with our whole platoon and we were pinned down by German mortar and artillery fire. We were given the order to move, but we couldn't because the Germans had zeroed in on us and they would have picked us off one by one. So Tom being the most conscientious Christian I've ever met, knew that something had to be done to save the 50 men under his command. And so Tom crawled out of his foxhole and he went over to a tree and he laid down by that tree. And Tom began to pray. He began to ask God to help us get out of this horrible situation. And this is true, Mom. After he prayed, a fog or a mist rolled in over the hill and hovered over the valley where we were. And the whole platoon escaped their foxhole and got to safety. After we escaped, we went to a little town, and in this little town was a church. And everybody in the whole platoon, all 50 men, went into the church, knelt down, and began to pray, thanking God for saving their lives. It's true, Ma. It's true, and it just shows how much prayer can mean. I mean, if that's not an answer to prayer, I don't know what is. Friends, it should thrill our souls. Thrill us to no end, to realize that the very same living God that saved them out of their foxhole can save us from the challenges of life. The same living God stands ready to help us to overcome our troubles. 
and to win our battles. Friends, we will undoubtedly face opposition in this life. It's a promise. The question is, do you have a great God who keeps his promises? Do you have a great God who is always with you? Do you have a great God to whom nothing is too magnificent to accomplish? Are you a big Godder or a little Godder? Our battles may be different than what was fought in World War II, but they still result in great victories. Our God has not changed from the days of Joshua. Same God. The same God that stopped the sun in its tracks, stopped the moon from coming up, the same God is the one you pray to to help you overcome the battles in your life. Same God. God has not changed in all the countless years of human history. So the same God that did this miracle can do a miracle in your life. So the choice is ours. You can do things your way and struggle with defeat for the rest of your life. Or you can do things God's way and know that when you cooperate with God, Imminent victory is yours. Ultimate victory is coming if you cooperate with God. Or you can live by your own values, live by your own worldview. You can depend upon your own strength. But if you do that, you'll have to pay a price. So my prayer for you is today is that you will place your complete trust in God. That you will place your complete trust in Him and discover how truly great your God is. Now friend, that can only happen one way. And that is by believing and surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, His Son. It's not some Brother Bill-ology that I'm giving you. It's straight from the Word of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus. So today, I want to ask you, are you battling? Are you struggling? Are the battles of life winning? Are the challenges in life overcoming you? It's time to start believing in the great God you have. And if you don't have a relationship with him, I want to encourage you to do that today. Let me pray for you. Father, you've never ceased to amaze us. Father, this is hundreds of incredibly miraculous miracles that you've accomplished in the Word of God. And Lord, you're the same today as you were in Joshua's day. Father, help our faith in you to be real. 
Lord, help us to look to you and to be, to be reminded that, Lord, you always keep your promises, that you're always with us, that there is nothing that's too great for you. And that, Father, through a relationship with you, we can pray and we can ask for miracles to be accomplished in our life, knowing that you hear the voices of your children. So this morning I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. Lord, whatever's going on in their life, whatever struggles and challenges and confrontations they're enduring, Lord, I pray you do a miracle in their lives today. And Lord, for that one who upon examining his or her heart realizes that they don't have a relationship with you, I pray that today they would believe and surrender their life to Christ Jesus. For there is no other name given among men to where salvation can be received. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us today. And we lift this prayer in the beloved and holy name, the mighty name of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. And he's our Savior and Lord. And we lift this prayer in his name. And all God's people said, Amen.
your blessing and turn the back.